0: Hello and welcome to the menu Monocle's food and drink programme. I am Marcus Hippie. This week, how Ecuador is working to become the world's top chocolate producer.
1: Everyone that works in cocoa in Ecuador or chocolate, they say that it's something that if you go in there, you can go back. It's like this passionate ingredient and that's what I do.
0: Then we meet the president and CEO of one of the world's best known culinary institutions, Le Cordon Bleu. When everything goes well, you have competition
2: popping up, but when things are restricted, in fact, the
0: core stays. All that's the week's headlines and a dinner recommendation too, ahead in this episode of The Menu. Ecuador has in recent years become a hub for small-scale chocolate producers. The country has for long been one of the world's top cocoa producers and these new entrepreneurs have taken the industry one step further, making their own chocolate instead of just exporting the raw product. Natalie Areco is an Ecuadorian chef who advises and trains farmers, exporters and chefs in handling cocoa in the most sustainable way. And as an expert on one of the most iconic Ecuadorian exports, she has claimed nationwide fame herself. Natalie visited Midori House recently and spoke to Monaco's own Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Fernando started by asking how Natalie got involved with cocoa.
1: I really think that it was my grandma. My grandma was addicted to chocolate. She used to smoke two packs of cigars a day and two bars of chocolate. So we used to share it, and we had this place where we had the chocolate. It was only for the two of us. So I think that passion grew there, and my first chocolate class was when I was 12. And then, I don't know, I started studying hotel management. Then afterwards, food and beverage But I always had this thing about chocolate and cocoa. Always, always. I had a boyfriend that was in that business too. But then I always did some courses. And maybe like 15 years ago, I decided that I wanted to be specialized in chocolate. Then I worked for a cocoa exporter. So I did different studies in the cocoa production, not only in the chocolate world. So I know everything from how to treat the trees, the different varieties, how to do the fermentation process, the drying process, why it tastes good or bad, depending on how you do the post-harvest. I don't know. It grows just into your soul. It's like everyone that works in cocoa in Ecuador or chocolate, they say that it's something that if you go in there, you can't go back. It's like this passionate ingredient And that's what I do. I love it.
3: And it's interesting. I think I've seen you say this before. Tasting chocolate is a bit like tasting wine as well, right? Because every year the taste can be a little bit different as well. Do you feel that this is happening in Ecuador, that people are more and more wanting to know more about the technology behind and how to cultivate. How do you see the progress of the chocolate industry in recent years?
1: I think that a long time ago, people didn't know anything about it. So it just did, the fermentation was seven days, they did it. And it was like something like the people from the lands, they were like, "Okay, if this works like this, we're going to do it every time like that. But right now, we know that wine, cheeses, beer, everything goes to a fermentation process. Same with the coffee. So in wines, as you know, it's standardized. Because of the diseases they had in Europe, they decided to stay with less varieties and to use them. They were the strongest ones to diseases. And what they do is that they induce the gists to make these wines. In Ecuador, or well, in cocoa in general, we don't have that standardized. It's like the yeasts are from the environment. So the flavors are from the place that you are fermenting. So the flavors are very wild. So it's something so nice because there's a study in Trinidad that they took the same cocoa and they put it in three different places to ferment. And the flavors were different. So every plantation gives a different flavor. Also the variety, but it's a mixture of both. So I think that in Ecuador, it's becoming something that people are learning more about it so they can have more standardized flavors. But also, we don't introduce yeasts. So it depends on the, the climate. Sometimes you have more rain or less rain, so it changes a little bit of the flavor. That's why what we're doing right now is, I think in general, the chocolate in the world is understanding that it has to be the crop of the year and a small batch, to see the different tastes of it, like in wine and other specialty foods.
3: And one of the special things about the Equatorian cocoa as well is that it's floral, which I believe not many other places in the world have it, right?
1: Yes, it's unique. We have this national variety. We have other varieties like CCN51 and the Asasha cocoa that is from the Amazon. I love the Asasha because it has like this ginger flavor. CCN51 is more frugal. But you can work different flavors also with the fermentation. But the national has this amazing floral flavor that it's so unique. No one can have it in the world unless you have the national. They have tried to take the trees and the seeds from Ecuador and put them in Brazil or in different places, and it doesn't taste the same.
3: It didn't work.
1: It didn't work. They tried, but it didn't work. So it's not only the variety, it's the land. The land and the environment It's like the terra. You can't have it anywhere else. Ecuador has been a cocoa-producing country for many, many, many years, more than 500 years. But it's never been a chocolate country. And right now, like 20 years ago, they started making chocolate. We have some candy chocolates that for kids and they have milk and flavors and stuff. But these high-end chocolates and chocolatiers, we have been working for the last 20 years. So it's just like a, a new thing. And everyone now in Ecuador that has a cocoa plantation wants to be a chocolatier. They want to try it. They want to see how it tastes. Because when you dry the cocoa, you don't know how it tastes. You can have a little bit of the taste. But then it goes through so many processes that you have, well, you want to see how it's going to taste this when it's a chocolate. So many people are experimenting that and good things come out of it. The difficult part that I see is the commercialization because we're so far away. Mm-hmm. And the countries that buy these and really love this kind of things are in Europe or in the United States. That's the hard part. That's why I'm here. And that's why I think the market should open to these specialty chocolates.
3: Well, let's try. Which one would you recommend us to start then?
1: When you taste chocolate, you have to start from the lowest percentage. Mm -hmm. The percentage in the chocolate means the amount of cocoa it has. It can be a mixture of cocoa butter, cocoa paste cocoa liquor and the rest generally sugar when it comes to high-end chocolates and you have to begin with the less percentage and then start growing
3: oh so we start then with the pacari you have yeah in front of we have 65 percent
1: yes a pacari of 65 percent i brought three chocolates from manavi that it's a province from ecuador that has it's so many wonders it's by the coast
3: is that the main place then yes, to make chocolate yes okay
1: and they have so many plantations in ecuador there were two diseases in the early 1900s that killed a lot of the uh, trees. But they had a lot of plantations that were preserved and they were, I don't know, like saved by God, I think. And they have trees that are 120 years old. So there's these flavors that are so ancestral and people are trying to grow those plantations with the same original cocoa trees. So it's something very special.
3: I want to try now. Mm. What do you think? First of all, it's delicious. I do see flora already a little bit, actually.
1: But mm. there's also wood. Mm. And fruit flavors. Mm. Like citric.
3: Very much citric, mm-hmm. actually. Now that you mentioned, there is this kind of freshness kind of at the end because the taste stays in your mouth and that's the difference perhaps to kind of more commercial chocolate in a way where it's gone, like you eat it, but this is it lingers in a very good way
1: actually. Yeah, yeah. that's something mm. very important in chocolate mm. and chocolatiers pay a lot for that, it stays in the mouth for a long time. We also have something that's very special from Ecuadorian one. chocolate, it has this astringency that it's they call it velvet astringency that it's smooth to your mouth when you taste chocolate, when you feel like your mouth gets very dry, that's astringency. Sometimes it's a bad thing, but in Ecuadorian chocolate, it's a plus.
3: Mm.
1: It's something that this cocoa has that no one else has. So it's like a, from value for us.
3: I'm very happy about our next chocolate because actually, I remember, I've interviewed actually uh, the owner uh, Cardenas, right? Yeah, Susana. Um, she's, she's lovely, Susana <laughs> yeah, Cardenas. I love her. Her chocolate is very elegant, I have to say, for the listeners of the packaging. Super nice. Very beautiful. It's kind of pink. looks like marble pink, in a way.
1: Yeah, and it has different prices. They sell it here. She has this one that is pure, and she has with different flavors, from exotic fruits to salprieta. It's salt with peanuts and toasted corn from Ecuador, with coffee from Hippihapa, that it's also a very special coffee, and a lot of different flavors. And she sells it here in the U.K., I love what she does. She's very passionate about it. And this is a 2020 harvest. So you can try it. This one has
3: 72%. 72%. So let's see.
1: This one is very smooth.
3: Mm.
1: As you can feel it.
3: And that's a surprising thing because I always had the impression that the higher the cacao, the, the chocolate will be kind of stronger and quite bitter. But that's not the case.
1: No, it depends on the on the cocoa. Mm. This one is very floral, yeah. as you can feel it. Very
3: smooth, as you say. Very smooth. Very yeah. kind of.
1: It's like Susana. It's very elegant. Yes.
3: <laughs> it's less citric, perhaps more floral, and it's lovely. It's really lovely.
1: Yeah, it has this a little bit of tobacco flavor mm. at the end,
3: Which and I vanilla.
1: Love. Yeah, it's very nice, but it's very floral. It's very unique. And I brought you an 85 percent. You tried the 65 percent from mm. Lua. This is a brand that I love because the packaging is all made from recycled paper and they bought this land that has these trees that are very old so I love what they do. They're so passionate about it and uh, it's a single plantation a tree to bar chocolate and this one has a lot of floral and stays in your mouth for a long time. see. So the trees are very old and you feel that the flavors that come are also Mm. very strong very strong and it stays in your mouth like forever it's like it represents a lot of of ecuador
3: wow yeah i mean we're talking about the lingering definitely Mm -hmm. and you said super floral super floral i think that's probably the most floral of the Mm now as well but smooth at the same time i'm so surprised because there's been some chocolates that i've ate with high levels of cacao they're a little bit too bitter to my taste but that's not what I'm feeling with those three chocolates no. that I've tried.
1: This is very floral and mm. earthy. It's like you are at the plantation. You mm. can feel them if you feel the tobacco mm. at the end.
3: Which I love because I love tobacco perfumes, actually. Yeah. So it, it, there's a connection there yeah, with chocolate as well.
1: There's a connection. Mm. I always, when I train people about tasting the floral flavor, because mm. it's so hard to understand because you eat fruits, you eat nuts, mm. so you kind of understand it. But when you talk about wood or when you talk about Mm. floral, what I tell people, it's like you have a floral perfume and it goes inside your mouth. That's a feeling. Mm. But that feels inside your mouth, that's kind of the floral flavor. But it's very special. This chocolate is very special. And it stays in your mouth a lot of time. This one is an 85% and you don't feel it? No. You just feel the complexity of the flavors. And you start with one taste When one flavour and it's like like music, it starts to change the flavours on the way. We see that we started with a little bit of earthy, then the floral came in and at the end the tobacco kicked. So it's something amazing. And
3: Natalie, do you do chocolate yourself? Do you make chocolate yourself? Yes,
1: yes. I do Uh. bar. I am a director in a chocolate school in Ecuador. So you do everything there. You go to the plantations, understand about how to ferment and dry everything, and then we do bin to bar, and with that we make chocolates. We paint the chocolates with do sculptures. We make truffles out of them. So I work the whole line. I don't want to have a brand. I think what I want to do is help people understand. Maybe what they're doing wrong with the cocoa Mm -hmm. because people don't really understand what influences that in the final flavor. So I prefer to educate people and to help them. Sometimes I taste chocolates and I tell them, okay, I think you should ferment it one day less. Let's Mm -hmm. try this or because it's over fermented or stuff like that. So, I prefer to do something like that because this is you make the chocolate and it's how to sell it and where to sell it. Maybe one day I decide to make my own brand, but it's not something that I have in mind. I love to teach and I love to help people.
0: Natalie Areco there speaking to Monaco's Fernando Augusto Pacheco. You are listening to The Menu on Monocle 24. Up next, we continue with the week's food and drink headlines. Here is Monocle's Lillian Fawcett.
4: Indonesia has lifted all import restrictions on foods from Japan, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida announced this week after a meeting with the Indonesian president. Jakarta had imposed bans on food products from seven Japanese provinces after the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster. Indonesia's Joko Widodo urged Tokyo to ease or abolish tariffs on Indonesian tuna, pineapples and bananas in return. As Australians face a spike in prices for most fresh produce, they're being urged to eat more avocados amid an oversupply of the fruit. The glut comes after a significant maturing of avocado trees in the past season and an increase in farmers seeking to capitalise on the usually lucrative fruit. The price of an avocado has dropped as low as one Australian dollar or 70 US cents. The industry is now looking abroad for buyers to a market currently dominated by Mexico and Peru. The Ritz Carlton brand has opened its second luxury New York hotel in a brand new 150-metre tall skyscraper in Manhattan. On Broadway and West 28th Street, Ritz Carlton New York Nomad is within walking distance of Madison Square Park, the Empire State Building and the city's Midtown. The hotel's food and drink offering will be led by Michelin-starred chef Jose Andres. McDonald's has put up the price of a cheeseburger in the UK for the first time in 14 years. The fast food giant blamed rising labour, ingredient and fuel costs for the hike of nearly 20%, from 99 p to £1.19. Prices for several other items, including breakfast meals and large coffees, will also go up by 10 to 20 pence.
0: Thanks Lilian. You are with the menu on Monocle24. The world-famous culinary arts and hospitality institute Le Cordon Bleu has trained some of the greatest chefs ever over the last 125 years. The institution has now opened its first fine dining restaurant in the UK, something that was meant to happen already back in 2020, but the plans had to be delayed because of the pandemic. But now, at last, CORE by Le Cordon Bleu is open on London's Fleet Street, and it also incorporates a cafe and a cooking school. But how much does opening a new restaurant add to the brand Cordon Bleu? And can it even be a risk? I met the CEO and president of Le Cordon Bleu, André J. Wantro, to discuss the new launch and what it means for the globally recognised brand. If you have a
2: kind of good reputation, you must, in fact, you have to exceed the expectations. So... We have, again, more to lose on the branding and uh, is Cordon Bleu still Cordon Bleu? It's easy mm-hmm. and see how the media would be so pleased to say, ho, oh, oh, they're not exactly what they should be. So why did you do that? Uh, well, first, again, Cordon Bleu is very, very lucky throughout what it has in its hands. But then it would take perhaps a few seconds to explain that uh, we've been moving from uh, a few centers of excellence, uh, whether Paris with London uh, and quite a few others, we generally say more than 35, but it's, in fact, much more than 35 institutes in the world. And what I'm saying, institutes, it's not program, it's really joint ventures. We are a joint venture with, for instance, the Chinese. In fact, the first chef who had the right to go out of China to be trained in 1994 so a long time ago came to the Golden bleu. so these are the kind of history we have in very many countries of the world I'm just back from Saudi Arabia where we also have a, a joint venture and it's really a joint venture it's not again a program we're opening a partnership with a new school uh, in Riyadh uh, with the Crown Prince so we've been doing this all around the world and of course CORD will absolutely have the kind of understanding of uh, very very many snapshots of around the world, so yes, we're French yes yes, yes, but it's really French techniques with uh, I would say everywhere local flavors, local expertise at the service of local ingredients, and so we're very very local local for British for instance, well very many know about the um, coronation chicken, so we did a few things for the uh, menu of the Queen in 1953 and recently uh, Chef Julie Walsh, for instance, brought to Buckingham a kind of uh, two meters and a half of uh, the 70th anniversary cake of the wedding of the Queen. So we're very, very local everywhere, and uh, but we're also very, very global. And for instance, in court, uh, a kind of good, good image of what we have local and global is on the wine list. We have fantastic wines. And also, I think that very few restaurants have so many wines per the glass at the level of the wines we have. But not only because uh, they could be expensive, but they're not. Mm-hmm. We want uh, things to be very uh, cost efficient. And for instance, our Chardonnay per the glass uh, is an excellent Kent and on the red side, for instance, the Pinot Noir is a Bulgarian Pinot Noir. So you can be very local and you can be completely global at the same time. And that's what we have been trying to do on what we're giving
0: at court with this kind of worldwide experience uh, at a good level. Showing what you know and showing what you can do well. Is it about building reputation like that as well in that front?
2: Well, I think that people who will be coming at court will first see they will check what does it mean, Cordon Bleu. So, uh, yes, we are expecting uh, a demanding uh, clientele. I was speaking about the Chef Marlet, but uh, I could be also speaking about Chef Minev, who is also the head of the institute. So, you don't see him, but uh, he's really also coaching. And, for instance, Chef Minev, uh, very well known in the industry, is the one who launched and then created uh, the Shangri-La. And uh, not only he created, but uh, he managed uh, five years all the restaurants of the Shangri-La. Now, the British scene would be more, for the Cordon Bleu, a kind of cuisine of the world and a capital of the cuisine of the world. That's London. Whereas uh, Paris would be probably more very technical, very Michelin-star. For instance, our head uh, chef, and uh, he's the head of the Institute in Paris, is somebody who has won, and I think very, very few people have been doing this. Uh, He has been winning, for the first year of the reopening of the Plaza Tenet, he won the two stars, Mm -hmm. which is quite something. And just a few years after... Chef Eric did absolutely the same thing with the Georges V who had stopped at five years for the refurbishing, five years. They had lost all their stars and he came and again, first year, he won his two stars. So these are the kind of caliber of chefs that we have and uh, they're not alone. Uh, 25 permanents in Paris, uh, about the same in London, they're permanent. And uh, yes, it's a good expertise and as i'm saying uh, we can help a little bit restaurant restaurant observation as we say to shine uh, with very good expertise again local ingredients and uh, local flavors being glorified and uh, i think that we have pleasure to play with uh, how can we do a great level it doesn't cost so much more to have good ingredients and good flavors and to really uh, give something and uh, you're saying why I'm here, well, in fact, I can say that I've been testing all the different recipes and menus. And uh, am I happy? I'm very, very happy. They have achieved something uh, fantastic. I nearly went on all the wines,
0: but not completely. (laughs) Now, earlier you mentioned how you've been traveling around the world and how Le Cordon Bleu has been growing and you have new centers around the world. Mm -hmm. What does the future look like now? What is in the pipeline and what's your vision for the future Le Cordon Bleu?
2: Well, first, let's face it. The two years have been very, very difficult here. So uh, I won't say it was uh, not painful. It was very, very painful. And at my age, and I'm an old man, a happy old man, by the way, but really it has been probably two years and a half, as you were saying, probably one of the most intense of my life. Every day is, how is it going? And even if you're healthy and uh, you need blood in your body, now cash flow is your blood. So so, no, it was intense, and I hope to never go back to those kind of things again. Having said that, it also has been an incredible moment of opportunity. And uh, Cordon Bleu, I would say right from the beginning, in fact, I was on the 17th of December 2019, I was in China. And uh, very quickly, we understood what was going on. So we took measures very, very quickly, probably before quite a few people. So we restructured, and at this moment, it was not only restructuring, as I said to you, we preserved the human capital. And we have been able to develop things that I would never would have thought. For instance, if you know Paris, you know the Place de la Concorde, you have the Hôtel de la Marine, and the French government has been asking cote to open a few uh, square meters to uh, animer des ateliers gastronomiques. So this means... Uh, to monitor some gastronomic classes. It will be a little bit more touristy than how normal institutes. But it's fantastic to be in a kind of a historical monument so well and uh, during this confinement. And the rest, and not only this, but we've been able... Uh, I'm just back from Central Asia where we will be opening again a partnership. Two months ago, I was uh, in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is a fascinating country. The changes are very interesting. I really wish well to the crown prince to make all the evolution he thinks should be done in his country. So are we going to open a school in Riyadh? Uh, The answer is yes. So Mm -hmm. even during those two years, I'm speaking about France, but much more we're very, very strong in Latin America, where we've been strengthening. I think no country has been more suffering from COVID than Peru. But we have an institute and we have a university over there. And then COVID has been the opportunity for the best, in fact, to shine. Now, I'm lacking of humility there. But in fact, when everything goes well, you have competition popping up. But when things are restricted, in fact, the core stays. And I think that Cordon Bleu is looked by many as strong, bringing in training, education, management of restaurants and hospitality. You know, we're accredited in more than 15 countries. Normally, you're accredited in one country, and then you clone something. We have really 15 different entities, each of them having their own specificity, and then this has stayed and coming back to Cord, there is a little bit of very many of our local institute in quite a few recipes which are presenting its course. So local, 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 absolutely, and global, global, global. Local first, but global very, very, very quick after.
0: CEO and President of Le Cordon Bleu, André J. Quantrill there. And the new Cord by Le Cordon Bleu is open on London's Fleet Street. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 20:00 London Time. That's at midday if you're listening in Portland, Oregon. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods for great recipes. And obviously, you will find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle Magazine. I am Marcus Hippie, our studio engineer was David Stevens, with editing assistance from Emily Sands. Once again, we finish this program with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here is Kylie Minogue with Chocolate. Thanks for listening.